Welcome to episode 14, I think. We don't even know what episode we're on at this point, but I believe it's episode 14 of the TurfCast podcast. And we're back tonight to just talk about random stuff, what's been going on. It's been quite a while since we've done an update here on the show. So RD, welcome back and thanks for joining me again. RK, it's good to hear your voice. It's been a while. You're right. It's been, gosh, I think like six weeks, but it feels like a lifetime, man. Um, you've been busy. You've been all over. I saw I, I saw you went to Glamour Shots and got yourself all did up. Was that true? <laughs> Glamour Shots by Deb. Yeah, that was, uh, <laughs> that's exactly what I did. <laughs> I swear to I swear, like everybody of, of our age, I think everybody's mom ended up at one point going to Glamour Shots or some like cheap knockoff of it. And there was always that picture of your mom in the living room like i can remember all my friends moms everything like that i wonder if there should be glamour shots for lawns like what would we do besides i mean you could stripe it up and that's like all the poofy hair and the bangs and all that shit that was on that your mom did and you were like is that even my mom because it looks like you superimposed like (laughs) some movie star's face on my mom what would you do for glamour shots on your lawn oh boy i don't even know i mean I mean, that, okay, here's that, the better question. I don't know. How, how do you, I, and and uh, God, I love my mom. I'm not, I'm not saying this in a bad way about my mom or anybody else's, but, you know, how would you whore up your lawn? You know, because <laughs> that's really what they did there. I mean, you could have you either been uh, walking out on the main stage at the strip club or at Glamour Shots. Like, it was really kind of up in the air what was going to happen. Well, it's going to it's going to have to involve some like turf paint or something, I think, you know, it, for sure. Have you seen um there's an air an air marking system that they use that does these really really intricate designs and you basically upload like a really high resolution high resolution image and it blows the grass blades in different directions. I'll send you a I photo. have seen that. It's cool as hell. It's the they did that after Kobe died, I think, on that one big field or something. Yeah, there's a the group that does it's out of Cincinnati, and it's it's really expensive, but it's also pretty cool with what they can do with it. So that maybe that is. I'm gonna have to call those guys down there and tell them, hey, has your mom ever been to Glamour Shots? Because I think you and I need to have a conversation, <laughs> and I'll I'll lead in with that, and I'll tell them they have a whole new marketing campaign behind it. So, all right, I digress, but. But seriously, hey, you, wh- what do you think they like? How much business do you think they have with that? Uh, it's very situational, like you said, for big events and, you know, usually not good ones. I know they did one here for the Columbus crew during COVID, you know, to like stay home, mask up, something like that. Um, they did one in uh, Indianapolis at their AAA baseball facility for the Final Four or I guess the NCAA basketball tournament this year. They had something out there in the outfield. It's one of those things that I think that they invented and thought that people were going to like latch onto and say, hey, every week or every month or something like that, we need you to come in and put a new design in. And it doesn't stay that long either. It's like right. a one-off. Um, but in talking to the guys that have done it, it's kind of a pain in the butt to prep for it because you have to mow out like all of your patterns. Like you have to, what we call Zamboni out all of that stuff. So it's basically like a blank slate and it's all mowed monodirectionally like one direction so that when they go to start they basically have like a a blank campus if you Mm -hmm. will and which is kind of like what they have done 
like at the Red Sox field a couple times, you know, where they'll sort of blank it out and then, um, you know, put the socks in there or something like that. But I think when I was looking that up, they were doing most of that just with like hand rollers and stuff like that. Yeah, just rollers and brushes and stuff like that. Dave Miller, go Bucks! Oh yeah, Ohio State grad. He's a good dude. He's uh, he's an interesting character, but man, um, has his stuff down with that. So yeah, I don't know. In the lawn, that would be interesting. Of like the turf paint, like yeah, like maybe uh, a little red, white, and blue. Would you paint your yard? Like if you could do like not like NFL end zone or like that to that degree, but like you know, I have thought about it because. A few years ago, I did the stars and stripes thing, and that one I still had bluegrass. But you know how bluegrass is. Like, by the time you get to July, it just looked like shit. Honestly, like it was, it was like, oh, I'm gonna. <laughs> well, put, you want to paint it then? I'm gonna put some great stripes in here, and they're kind of halfway brown and looking awesome. But I mean, it it does look kind of cool. But I have thought about it now that I have the low turf of trying to do some sort of paint design, which would be kind of neat. I think you could, uh, you know, it'd be cool is, you know, in all that free time that you have nowadays mm-hmm. uh, to go out and make a stencil, you know, go get like the old school projector and make the Ryan or lawn care stencil like up on a wall, cut it out of a piece of like bisqueen or plastic and then lay that on the yard and paint it. That'd be kind of cool. That would be, that would be pretty sweet. Our, our friend, uh, our friend Wes, who I think we interviewed back on uh, episode eight, we do need to get some guests back on here. We're going to work on that. Yeah. Uh, I know we always say that, but, and then six weeks goes by and it's just us rambling. But anyhow, he legit like freehands this stuff. I mean, he'll, he'll grit it out, you know, with strings, but we'll legit freehand it. It's amazing to watch something like that. But, That's what I need to get when we do our tour day Columbus, which we need to figure out legitimately this year. We are doing it. Uh, oh, yeah. We, I would love to see kind of how he does some of that stuff. Yeah, it's it's interesting, and like I said, he he's a little bit different than some folks. Where uh, the stencils are are not cheating by any stretch. I mean that that is a process in and of itself, but it's just um, very deliberate, right? There's you know you have to do A before you do B before you do C, so on and so forth. And the freehanding is obviously not quite as uh, it's still as meticulous or more so, but not quite as formulaic in that sense. But I've know. been the, having the an absolute hell of a time lately um, mowing anything straight. I have no idea. I, like the Today I looked on my side yard, I was mowing, and I looked back, and it was just like arcs and curves and all that. And I was like, what the what am, what is going on here? I have no idea what I'm doing, but yeah, whatever. You just got to get back in. You just got to get back into it. I mean, how, okay, so you tell me. I mean, it's a short run right what's the Don't longest it. pass you have oh man not very long i mean that side feet mm, let's see probably like yeah probably like 30 see uh, how do you how do you line yourself up? like aren't you are you stopping every time you turn or no yeah for the most part i mean okay. i have it in my head pretty well like i usually start in a in a corner where i can make like a straight fairly straight line you know because it's a short section and then i kind of go off of it from that but over time i've learned you know so many people have so many different ways of doing things we're like no just look in the distance or do this it's never worked for me to do that i kind of just envision in my head like okay this this last one that i did has a little bit too much this way i need to like overlap it a little i don't know 
Well, and if you got your stripes burned in, that's where yeah, you go back and you fix it right away. So I'm I'm a huge believer in the look off in the distance, look at something high in the sky as high as you can. So in your case, a chimney, a tall tree, something like that, and get yourself just dead nuts on that. And then you got to have what I call firm hands, not strong hands, try and steer the mower, but yeah. just keep your hands firm. I think that's the problem is because it's almost not heavy enough, the mower that I have, so it kind of wants to move itself all the time, and it's just kind of floating around, especially if you already have any other pattern in, going like in any other direction, it like wants to grab onto that. So, Do you have uh, a grooved roller on the front right now, or a solid roller? Grooved. Yeah, try and switch to a solid and see. I'll tell you, I think we talked about this before, and I don't know if they make them for that particular mower, but the segmented solid rollers, right? So look at Golfco out in Seattle. Great guy. Martin is the president of the company. I'm not, I'm not, I don't get anything from them. I'm not anything. I'm just saying solid dude. And if you want to forget anything about golf rollers, this guy's already done it three times and remembered it again. So <laughs> they have, so I think there's like on a normal, like a greens master or whatever, I think there's four across. So imagine that 21-inch wide roller being segmented up into four equal parts, right? So that you can still have a little bit of undulation and fluctuation. So where they use them a lot in golf is when you're mowing uh, cleanup passes, right? So around the perimeter of the green after you're done mowing or before you are before you start mowing, depending on what your preference is there. But the idea is, is as you're going around turns or if you hit changes in direction and stuff like that, only a part of that roller is responding, right? To that difference in texture right mm-hmm. and how hard it's being grabbed right difference in texture and i guess also in friction and so i think you mow a little bit straighter and you deal with some of the humps and bumps and whatnot yeah. that are in your lawn so when i typically try for i typically really don't do a lot of burn in of like you know last year i did that one pattern contest thing and that one was pretty <laughs> burned in and from it stayed there for a while but for the most part i pretty much change it like every time I mow just because I want to get a cleaner cut and I'm already dealing with problems with that, which we can kind of talk about. But with the way the weather's been going, things not really actively wanting to grow that much. I'm kind of behind on fertilizer. A lot of different things going on to where it's just, it's the same thing. Sissy grass is kind of sissy and it doesn't always really want to stand up very well. And so as soon as you start mowing every two days and you're rolling and rolling and rolling, like mm, i need some grooming a grooming system i think well and you know before we dive too deep into that i'll just say that i think especially for all the folks that are real low something that you know uh, in golf and sports turf that we look at frequently and most especially in the springtime is what i call texture and i mentioned that word earlier but what i mean by texture is you know uh if you're sitting here and you're drinking beer you're in the car, you're going to look weird for a second, but, you know, lay your hand out flat, you know, so like your whole arm and everything is parallel to the ground. Okay. Now that's what happens when you roll over that grass, right? If you look at your fingers now, stand those up, put them perpendicular to the ground. Okay. That's what you want your grass to be doing. You want it to be as upright as possible. And we call that texture, right? So we're always trying to work texture as much as possible, especially in the spring. Is that's when the plant is um, most influenced by this. In summertime, we can't be nearly as aggressive just because of temperatures and stresses and things like that. And fall, um, 
you know, we can be a little bit more aggressive too, but again, we're trying to get some of that recovery from summer and try to build roots. But right now is a great time to work this texture and try to get the grass standing up straight. So be interested to talk about what tools you have in the toolbox and what tools some of the other folks might have in their toolboxes and make sure that it's going to well, work because this, this is the time to dive into it. I hear you in my head every freaking time saying that as I mow RD, I'm like, okay, RD's going to say, let's look at this texture and we need to work on this texture. The texture right now freaking sucks. It just does. <laughs> like, I'm going to be honest. I'm kind of feisty today. So before we get on this thing, people are going to be like, what is wrong with RK? He doesn't sound very normal. But I've been in sort of a mood because of this weather and there might be some F-bombs that come out at some point. But, hey, okay, so just, I've been thinking about it. Every time I moan, I'm like, this texture, just it's, it's just not good right now. And so, you know, you and I have talked about it a couple times on even just doing some raking and then going over that section and mowing. Sure. But every time sure. that I do that, I just feel like it doesn't do a whole lot because as soon as I get that front roller on it again, right away before it even cuts, it just mm-hmm. laid right back down. Even, you know, I, I raked all of my bluegrass mono stands a couple times and mowed over and then I raked them again and mowed over and I was like, it just doesn't, it didn't do that much. The bluegrass is better though because that stands up better anyway. But. So one one time, ain't going to do it. I mean, it just ain't. It, it, it's going to have to be a consistent effort in with, you know, with perennial ryegrass and it being a bunch type grass, right? One seed equals one plant you can't overdo it, right? You can thin that stand out so much so that you don't have adequate coverage and density at that point, right? So I think the the caveat here is that lighter and more frequent um, texture management is going to be your friend. So, you know, if it, if it were me and if I had my druthers to pick my mower and everything like that, I would want one that I know that you have the cassettes and you can kind of change out. And that that, that is a good tool to have. I think that's a, an excellent tool. Not everybody might have that. But if you are just rolling with like a 1600 or a 1000 or something like that, like Toro units, um, throwing that brush down in front of those that, you, you know, the flip down brushes and you mm-hmm. can kind of even fab your own up. Uh, ahead of time you don't even have to do that if that's that's makes it easy to make in a one pass but you could pull a brush uh either by hand or you can uh pull it with a tractor or something like that and you know get that stuff stood up ahead of time before you mow but man it definitely makes a difference as you continue to do that um you know probably on an every second or third mowing i would say and depending on how aggressive that you want to get but it's it's uh, something that you do it yeah you're right you do that the first time and you're like eh, okay this didn't really do it for me but as you continue and especially in periods of high growth potential right so i know it's dry i know that you know you're waiting for things to really get going yeah from a growth standpoint but at some point that hammer is going to drop you know and i hammered it, some it, ammonium sulfate tonight so <laughs> <laughs> well, that that, and you get yourself. Let me look at the the forecast out there. I've been keeping track. I know it's been dry. Oh my god, we haven't had. We've not had an inch. We've had less than a half an inch since winter ended. So, damn. So, in that sense, then it's. Um, I still think it's as critical to to go ahead and manage it because this is the time too, where, from a texture standpoint of 
you still have good temperatures right now. Right? Yes. It's just dry. Yeah. Uh, I'm seeing a chance of rain this weekend here, sir. I see chances on Saturday and Sunday. Chances don't mean shit to me because they never come true. So, oh, that's, oh hey. So, okay. So, we're talking about texture, we're talking about work and everything like that, trying to get the plant stood up right and just getting a better overall quality of cut across the board. What's your, uh, What's your prism telling you? Have you have you I know you you showed that to the world, right? After mm-hmm. we talked about it off yep. the air for a while, but what what has it been telling you as you sit and look at your turf? Well, it's been telling me right after I cut, everything looks fairly I mean, of course there's some of those there's some stragglers. of the bl- the blades in there. There's some stragglers in there, but there's also if you're mowing every two days, obviously the recovery on some of the blades that you cut on the previous mow haven't really happened yet. And so mm-hmm. they kind of look a little dried out. And then, but for the most part of what I'm cutting, especially this again on the bluegrass, I just love how that bluegrass like cuts on a real mower. It's just amazing, but it doesn't <laughs> quite stripe and it doesn't have that same texture that I love about ryegrass. But the ryegrass doesn't. It just feels like it kind of, sometimes it wants to shred every once in a while, just even if your reel is cutting perfectly, it just, it grabs on and it doesn't quite cut like that bluegrass does. But for the most part, it doesn't look that bad. But then when I check it again in a day or so after mowing, it kind of, everything looks sort of dried out and white tips. And and that's also partially, again, because our weather has been really, really harsh on wind and dry and no question, and that's something too. Where yeah, you're going to get into some scenarios. I think you're talking about high winds, low humidity, and even now, like that's the thing you have to understand about grass is just because the air temperature to you and me is comfortable, right? You know, so I think you know tomorrow. I think out there it's supposed to be like 68 mm-hmm. and sunny with a little bit of wind. Well, that, that's pretty comfortable. Um, maybe you need a light jacket. Maybe you don't. But the here's the thing is the turf at that time temperatures while they are good it is the moisture the relative humidity plus the wind right and even how much sun you're getting right and how high in the sky that is all play a part in that uh that piece again we call evapotranspiration right so the grant you know there's two parts to that evapotranspiration right so evaporation is happening out of the soil so as the soil heats up or we have wind that goes across it drier uh, drier air, water is going to move from higher potential to lower potential. It's going to move out into the air, right? So that's the evaporation piece. Transpiration, right? That's the way that the plant cools itself. So as water comes into the plant, gets used up. What doesn't get u- gets used goes out through the stomata, and that's how the plant essentially sweats, right? It comes in as uh, liquid, goes out as gas, and that's how the plant cools itself off. And so you're saying, Ryan, well, geez, like, how's it going to need to cool itself off? when it's 68 degrees outside. Well, one, temperature is measured in the shade, right? So the temperature you see on the weather channel is measured in the shade. It's not measured on the ground at the surface, right? So it's definitely higher temperatures there. And, you know, the ideal temperatures for cool season growth, ideal, like the true ideal range is right around 68 degrees Fahrenheit, right? So as we exceed that in sun or we exceed that um, in situations where we, you know, uh, temperatures at the surface are higher, whatever the case might be there, that's where you're going to have to have supplemental water, okay? Now, tell me about your irrigation system and the pluses, minuses, 
you know, all that kind of stuff yeah. that you've well, observed in two years of having it. So one thing was we had one day, I think it was last Sunday, Sunday or whatever. It was sometime, I think, last uh, last weekend, but mm-hmm. it was like 88 and 40 mile per hour wind. And from mm-hmm. that day on, it was just like everything was zapped from that day, like completely zapped. And... So what I've been noticing with the irrigation system is that there's some design things that I would have done differently knowing now kind of what I know, especially on those front sections near the street where there's basically a lineup of heads, but there's nothing on the other side. So there's no sort of triangle coming back. Uh. So there's like, okay, there's a line of heads, but there's no heads on the other side pointing back to it. So I notice a lot of dry spots in there. It's not too hard to figure out, you know, in a, in a couple of days time with the wind and everything we've been having, you can visually see exactly where the water is and where it isn't. So I've been hand watering a lot of those little spots. Um, but overall, I don't know, I'm pretty happy with the MP rotators in some scenarios. And then in a lot of other scenarios right now, I feel like I'm just, I'm seeing a lot of missed spots uh, that I don't really quite understand because when I run the system, everything everything seems like it should be running fairly well. It looks like for the most part, everything's getting head-to-head coverage, but then within a day or so, I'm like, nope, that spot's dry, that spot's dry. I don't know if it's because of that, the way that it works, and it's not really a, a consistent fan out of the spray of water. I don't know. It's just, it's interesting. I don't know how much experience you really have with that type of residential system you know with what you do but no i mean i know enough to be dangerous right um but you know when it comes down to it is you know you've got a few things there you've got the the spacing of your heads right and so those have to be measured correctly at install and then nozzled correctly to have the correct pressure to throw back you know to the opposite head to your point about triangulated coverage, yeah, you can do block coverage and have pretty good success, but triangulated coverage is sort of the gold standards uh, of of irrigation design. And so in that one spot, real quick, while I'm thinking about it, is it a matter of adding an additional head or a few heads, or is it like a whole new zone that you'd have to pick up to well, make that all work right? So, okay, it's basically kind of like a strip out there because I've only got... I mean, it's that front section by the street. It's really long, but only probably eight feet wide or something like that. And they've got six heads out there. But what I really think needed to happen was there was at least something on the other side of the street coming back towards them. And I don't know if that was possible with the pressure that I had. I don't. I mean, I have really, really good water pressure. So that's also why I'm sort of confused on a few things in the front yard because I'm only running six heads on one zone and I'd say the front yard's about 1500 square feet but there's still some spots where it's like the 30 foot head where it was supposed to be spraying to the other one is still not quite reaching it or I get to the end of the line and you know how the MP rotators when they have good pressure they they spin fairly fast like I get Mm -hmm. to the end of the line and you can definitely tell it's like super slow and not really spinning it's just kind of sitting there so i don't know it's interesting uh and again i think this is what you get into with (laughs) this is what happens when 
high end expectations meet with uh, yeah. average average delivery. Yeah, right? everybody and, and would they, probably be like, "Well, it's, is it watering your freaking lawn?" Yes, it is, but. I'm out there with a goddamn hose, and I shouldn't be. So that's where I'm pissed. Well, and I'm going to tell you this is like the days that you describe, like 88 degrees, yeah, yeah. high winds, low humidity, like that's all hose territory. I mean, I remember those days on the golf course where, you know, it's literally like you are like the fire marshal. You're going from one green or tee or fairway, you know, you've got your staff all kind of split up, and you can run heads till the cows come home the other thing too and i don't know what the critical value is for empty rotators is definitely less i would think but for like a golf course head that's going to be pushing out minimum 85 psi something in most cases you know uh 100 or slightly above 11 miles an hour is enough to impact uh distribution uniformity across that spray pattern of that head well that's been the problem is is that part of it too so you're absolutely correct that I would love to say for the most part, at least during the summertime, it feels like no matter if it's windy during the day, kind of as we get to dusk, like things kind of calm down and usually overnight, there's not a whole lot of crazy breeze going on. But ever since, I mean, all of March, all of April this year has been just so consistently windy and even overnight to where I would be like, okay, cool, it'll calm down and I can run my sprinklers and everything will be good. But if it's 20 mile per hour wind over, like last night it was at least 20 mile per hour, per hour wind overnight. And I was like, if mm-hmm. I run these, it's not going to do any damn bit of good because it's just all over the place. So. Yeah. And that's one where if you want to run your system, all you're going to do is just, uh, you're not going to be efficient. You're not going to be very uniform and you're just going to run the piss out of it, right? Mm-hmm. To try and get stuff wet and keep it wet. So I, I don't know. I think that's that's a slippery slope. So okay. So then tell me, this is you've got all those challenges X Y Z, but how are you programming? And this is really interesting because it is you know what is it? You know early May. Yeah. And, My and neighbor's yard about- is completely dormant. Like obviously they don't take care of it, so that's one thing. Like let's start there, but. Yeah. It is toast. Like it is straw brown and like you walk on it and it's crunchy. So that's mm. where we're at already. Yeah, and that's that's not a good setup because you know what's going to be suffering even on irrigated lawns is rooting, right? Mm-hmm. So you go through a tough winter and you have some sloughing off and you have all that use of carbohydrates and things like that and then this is really like we're in the middle of the go zone to push root growth to get ready for summer because obviously we're going to have sloughing off of roots and dieback of roots over the summertime with increased soil temperatures, uh, carbohydrate use, right. And reduced storage. So that's my concern, right. You know, for you long-term. So, okay. Getting back into the irrigation programming is how are you programming? Like take the wind out of it, everything like that. Like just how are you setting up your programs? How, how long and what time and all that kind of stuff. Well, soak cycles. T- typically last year when it was, when we actually had some humidity, I could get away with a lot less water than I assumed that I could. And so I think what I've been doing now is I'm a little bit at a deficit from just being in my brain like, oh, I only need to water this much and it's going to be okay. And I was also gone for a little stretch of period where I didn't have the whole system on yet. So 
there was like four or five days there where I should have probably been watering something, but I wasn't home. So I, I got into a deficit there. But I mean, they're supposed to be around a, let's see, what is it? Uh, like 0.44 inches per hour, I think is what they put down. So I've been doing more like in the past, like a half an hour. So it's like a quarter of an inch and then letting it kind of soak in. And then if I need more, like I'll go again. But for the most part, it's just, it's not keeping up. So I think I need more at this point. Well, and, and so again, we go back into summertime watering regimes, programs, whatever. And what's the balance there that you're trying to strike? You're trying to strike the balance between soil moisture, expected weather conditions, previous weather conditions, and disease, mm-hmm. right? That's always the equalizer, but not the equalize or. That's a different thing. <laughs> well, and uh, let's throw another wrench in here that I've been thinking about uh, is Ben. Oh, my. This is the first yeah. year I've ever had sand on there. So although I don't have like an extreme level of sand on there, like I don't, I don't have, uh, it seems like it's just been drying out faster than it really had in the past when I only had native soil. Have you pulled like, you know, with your soil probe, I mean, just pulled, uh, you know, and checked moisture like that? Have you? Do yes. You, okay. Here, yeah, I did back. it today. Okay. I did it today. How did it feel in, in your a, fingers? In one of the dry spots, it was dry as hell. Like I couldn't even, I couldn't go down like three inches and it was all dry. So I, I would be out there and I, I hand watered. Sh- yeah. I was going to say, I would pound the shit out of this with a hose. Yep. I would give it the business. And at, at this point in the season, I'd have zero qualms about lighting that shit up with an hour of water and letting it fly. And yep. knowing that you're not going to be as uh, uniform in terms of coverage and your efficiency might be a little off. And that's where you're going to learn your hot spots and go out there and touch those up with the hose, right? Yep. So I did like half of the front yard today all by hand because for some reason it's it slopes a little bit too. So I think some of that was the problem, but just with the wind we've been dealing with, I was missing like a bunch of spots. So I was like, I'm just gonna go water most of this by hand today. So from a, a soil standpoint, is there any issues like with hydrophobicity and what i mean by that yes is the, the, <laughs> yes oh okay so the, so the water the water is, is run off running off like crazy right now that's why today i put down tonight i put down wetting agent and the other day when i was looking at some of the worst spots i was putting some basically some wetting agent just you know very targeted on a few of those spots too and trying and as soon as i got that on there the water had been just like rolling off. You can watch it just run. And then as soon as I got that on there, it was like you could see it go and like soak right down in. Yeah. So that, that I would say a few things then is I, this is one situation where I, I'm okay with using the pellets if you're into that kind of thing. You know, I know some people use like the tournament ready pellets. There's a variety of good ones out there. I'm not going to sit here and talk shit on anybody's pellets because yeah they're pretty much all the same for the most part for the most part there's some that have added humic and kelp and things like that and that's wonderful that's great but i need it for the wetting agent i need it to push water down into the soil and then deposit that wetting agent there so that as i continue to try and re-wet the soil 
it's easier to do that, right? Mm -hmm. So that's one thing. The, the other part here, again, is trying to learn where some of these hotspots are that are going to pop up so that you can then stay ahead of them and monitor them, right? So that, okay, hey, we're going to run a heavy irrigation cycle. Okay, the, you know, 90% of the yard's fine, but this other 10% and these four spots, I need to go out and check these in a day instead yep. of two or three days because I know that they might be getting ready to turn and that's where I need to you know push some water down by hand. So I think you're on the right track there. And again, dry soil now isn't going to hurt you. I mean, there's also some, you know, the, I wouldn't say dog, my old wives tell whatever, but the thought that of drying soil out in what we call pre-stress conditioning. Yeah. Yeah. The plant, right. There's, there's validity to that to a certain extent. However, dusty dry. Oh, it's been stressed. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say that that's, that's not a recipe for anything good. Now, your fungicide budget might go down significantly if it stays like this, but it's uh, my water it, bill won't be going down. That's well, for sure. And that's the yeah, that's that's the part where uh, well, and you know you that, know. and this is just a, a feel and look thing as you do more with your yard. But there's just nothing like rainfall. Like I can blast that freaking thing with my water, like city water, but. It just never looks exactly the same to me. It feels like once you get a rainfall or like a consistent soaking over the whole thing, it's just like everything kind of pops. And right mm -hmm. now you can tell it's like, oh, it's it's liking the water, but it it's not uh, it's just not adjusting to it like it does with rainfall. Well, and so this is another thing I was going to say too from a, a a you know, going back to my superintendent days, a superintendent's trick or whatever is you know, uh, priming the soil, right? So if you do have the chance of rain on Saturday, Sunday, a lot of times, you know, uh, common nature is to say, or common sense would tell you, oh, hey, you know what? I was going to irrigate on Friday, but you know what? It's probably going to rain Saturday, Sunday. I'm going to back off. I won't do it. Me, if, especially if I'm dry going into, and I know that I'm probably going to be dry leading out of, which looking at your weather, that's kind of the way it looks right now, mm -hmm. is... I'd go ahead and irrigate on Friday and I would want that soil primed because what I mean by that is that one, especially if you've got your wetting agent down, that's going to be in your favor, but also to the extent that if you do have things dried down and don't have them primed up, you know, with a little bit of moisture in the soil, the first bit of rain that you get is going to run off, right? It's going to just sheet right off just like your uh, hose would initially, right? Especially if you don't have a slow rain, so it's always a good idea just to kind of make sure that, again, it's not super, super wet. And what you control in the irrigation leading into a rain event like that or the chance of a rain event, but also not bone dry either. Yeah. So you're, uh, yeah, you're in some interesting water management territory, especially this early in the season. I, I, I'm trying to think. I've never had a spring like this really at this point, but. We've had a few. I can think of a few over my career where it was like, you know, you're out there dragging hose and, you know, grinding your dick into the ground, hand watering. <laughs> you look up and you're like, dude, it's not even fucking Memorial Day yet. What is going on right now? Right. And usually, I, <laughs> again, old wives tell farmer's almanac, whatever. I'm not into all that stuff. But anecdotally, the, <laughs> the years that were like that in the spring, the summers sucked. 
Yeah, I know. <laughs> like, there was no, there was never. Well, one. I was like, man, that spring was tough. But you know what? Summer, not that bad. We got a couple other things to talk about. Is that seating project that I did, which mm. we can pretty much tell you what's happened with that, and then also yeah. the fescue in my backyard. So I watered the absolute hell out of it the other day, like. Mm-hmm. crazy because I was just like, okay, this is way far gone for where it should be. And it looked pretty good. And I took a soil probe and I grabbed like one of the drier sections that, you know, was starting to check out. And after I, I could go probably eight inches down and I still had moisture in there. And I was like, perfect. Now I got something back there today. It's like three days later, they're already starting to wilt again. And I'm like, what is going on with this thing? It's just crazy. I don't. Uh, it's just hmm. absolutely killing me. This wind and. Well, I was going to say. I think that's just. I think overall, that is a, a function of ET evapotranspiration and just again exceedingly low soil moisture and exceedingly tough weather conditions. Right, They're putting a lot of pressure on you. Uh, and, and this is what always happens too. This this exposes. I mean, it, there's no irrigation system that's 100% efficient, 100% uniform, right? And the deeper you get into a weather pattern like this, the more you see the limitations of what you have. And it is just meant to be. You know, that, that, that's what the irrigation gurus will tell you is that it is meant to be supplemental water yeah it drives me crazy ryan because that's where i'm at right now i'm like god damn it i spent so (laughs) you did i get it you spent that much money but on the other side of it too is if you look at how this is what i'm about to say is overkill for a homeowner maybe not for ryan there's no overkill for me you know me by now well okay so like here's how real quick synopsis of how we do it in the sports field or golf industry, right? That system is laid out and drawn on CAD. Everything is calculated from the flow dynamics of the pipe from the point of connection. So whether that's a well, uh, a pump in a pump house, you know, on a golf course, or, you know, the connection at your street and there's no booster pump or anything, you just got good water pressure. But from that point all the way out to the head, everything is calculated flow dynamics wise through the pipe, out to your head, through your sprinkler head, and then onto the turf, Right. And so then all of the, all the spatial data of where that needs to be. So again, triangulated coverage, um, distance down to the inch of exactly where that head needs to be. All that stuff's put in CAD, and then they upload that and do a GPS map. Then when we go out and put the heads, those are staked to, again, within an inch of where they need to be, right? With the GPS uh, unit, those heads are put in. Then we go ahead and we locate all those again, put it on a map, and then we've got all of our accurate flow dynamics we can put in our computer and run our system off of. So that piece of design and implementation, those those two parts of the process are absolutely critical. Now in a ResCom situation, residential commercial, it typically here's how it goes, is one of two ways. One, there are supply houses for irrigation components and they're great people and they do a good job, but they will farm out and say, hey, uh, I need... Uh, a design for a commercial building or a new house or whatever the case might be, you know, a, um, a new stick home that's being built, you know, for a, a, a builder or something like that. And it'll just get thrown together with minimal 
considerations for any of those flow dynamics. They're going to try and do it as cheap as they can. So from a material standpoint, they're trying to reduce the amount of materials that they have in there. So then you might lose some of that coverage piece, right? And some of that uniformity because they've made decisions for you ahead of time without even consulting you that, hey, this is what's best for you. So this is what you're going to get. Yeah. Then when you go out in the field, those heads are just simply measured off the tape. Nothing wrong with that per se. But again, if you're into accuracy and wanting to make sure that, you know, again, based on the pressure, the flow, and the nozzling that you have on each one of those heads, that it's dead nuts on exactly where it needs to be uh, from a performance side, then that, all you're going to get is, you know, hand measured, rough guess, this you know, is, dead reckoning kind of stuff. This is exactly why I'm going to be paying Mr. Ryan DeMay to come uh, design all this shit that I have going on <laughs> coming up here, that, which I haven't told everybody yet, but it's, you know, all this stuff that I'm going to have coming up. That's why you get the big bucks. Well, it's, it's not even, uh, it's just getting it right. And it's, it, it's, um, can it be cost prohibitive for some people? Absolutely. Is it for everybody? No, it's not. But when somebody says, Hey, this needs to be right. And I can't, I can't have this screw up. I can't spend this amount of money and have this be wrong. Or I can't get to this date, this event, this, whatever, and not have this be able to perform the way it should. Well, then guess what? We're going to start mitigating risk and mitigating risk is big picture stuff like you know choosing the right type of grass or the right cultivars or whatever the case might be all the way down to hey is that irrigation head nozzled correctly and is it in the right spot right relative to what the flow dynamics are for the pipe and then relative to this whole system of where all the other heads are spatially all those things everywhere yeah. from that nozzle all the way back up to grass choice all of those decisions matter. No, they didn't know how crazy I was until they got there that day. Like and they, 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 like, they <laughs> knew like I was <laughs> fucking crazy, but they were like, okay, well, this guy's pretty crazy about his yard, but let's just do this. And then when I was there that day and they, you know, they're like, okay, uh, I think it's actually, he's over the edge. So, <laughs> well, and you know, you may, that's how I know that, uh, I'm talking to the right people because everybody I associate with for the most part in this community is like that, that you know, the contractor gets on site and they know that you're a little keyed up, right? A little, a little antsy in your pantsy. But then when they get out there and it's like sometime between like the first five minutes and maybe first five hours and they go to their, you know, coworker and they're like, this guy's fucking insane. <laughs> That's when that that's when I know I'm talking to my people. Yep, yep. Yeah. So, I, I, you know, to 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 kind of put a bow on on this part of the discussion, I would just say that right now you can't overwater, at least for the next, you know, historically speaking, four weeks or so, as long as your humidity remains low. That's going to be your key trigger: is humidity low. Yeah. Um, that's what I said. I, I said this the other day, and I think you gave me a little a little crap for it, but I was like, I've never in my life wished for humidity to get here, but right <laughs> now I am at that point because I can't take it anymore. And so that makes me feel kind of interesting about our listeners who are out in, you know, I was, gonna, I was thinking about this before the show. I was like, you know, someday I kind of wanted to move to Wyoming because... It's obviously the middle of nowhere. There's no one around. Everyone knows I just love people so much. 
So I was like, I, I don't know. But I can tell you for a fact, after experiencing the wind that we've had, the dry conditions that we've had, there ain't no chance in hell I will be growing a yard in Wyoming. Yeah, and there's trust me, there are. I always think about those too, like those really arid, like high desert type climates and how they do. And it's just a really interesting dynamic because they, well, and this is sort of like the uh, the wheel of death, right? That you get to spin and you where you get to pick where you're going to go grass, right? So like if it spins and it comes up mid-Atlantic, oh, okay, cool. I get to grow grass in the middle of an armpit. Awesome, right? Or if I, if I spin it and I get uh, southern Georgia, you know, or oh, yeah. central Alabama, oh, great. I can grow pretty much any type of warm season grass, but I'm also going to have a little bit of winter and the weeds are going to be ridiculous, right? I'm going to have to deal with, you know, a, a wide, wide variety of leaves or of weeds that are always going to be a, a thorn in my side. Come up to Ohio, the Midwest, disease capital of the country, right? Same, I guess, for the Mid-Atlantic, maybe to a different extent. They've got a lot going on over there too. But yeah, then you go out West and it's arid climates, and whether you're in Southern California, you're in Phoenix, uh, you know. Uh, well, I kind of get it I now because Washington, Albuquerque, anything. It's weird. It's a weird dynamic of yeah. how you got to grow grass in those areas. Because especially, I mean, when I was at Connor's house a couple times, I was like, I was kind of. He's basically just watering and watering and watering, and he's on a well, so you know maybe it's a little easier. But at the same time. He's got the sand cap. I mean, with his constant dry conditions, and it's pretty windy there a lot of times too. Now I kind of feel like, okay, I, I sort of get it. I mean, which one would you rather have? The fungus pressure or just trying to always keep water up bill. with watering? So, yeah. It's an interesting yeah. thing, but... No, it's always give and take, and, and that's the thing is we, we all kind of sign up for accept whatever the case might be of a different set of challenges than maybe our brother in or sister in from other parts of the country and that's it's learning how to manage and mitigate what hand you're dealt and you kind of know what hand you're going to be dealt ahead of time right yep. so you know when i was going through school and everything like that uh i like I studied my ass off in plant pathology and learning all the fungicides and motive actions and all those things and how they work because that was the key to unlocking a successful season on a golf course, right? Like you first, you know, you, I had to learn water management after the fact. I couldn't learn that in a book. I had to go out there and actually do it. But from a school side of things, it was a matter of working through, you know, those, those things of learning the disease side. So in golf, you know, we're talking about still doing some hand watering and you know as much as your irrigation can cover there's still spots on green sometimes that need a little extra or whatever happens what's the what's your experience on like let's say a sports turf field in terms of irrigation coverage and how all that works because obviously it's a huge area to cover there's probably not people out there every day like hand watering little spots but uh it, you know it, it, in terms of like what's the qu level of quality that you see and uniformly, what are some of the challenges we face? Yeah, and let's just say like a football field or a soccer field that's huge. So football field and soccer field are 
uh, it's interesting, right? So uh, a lot of those systems, virtually all of them, are built with um, residential commercial sprinklers. So, you know, a popular spec, and we're not plugging them. I just, it's the head I like the most because it's most dependable. It works good, whatever. If you want to use a different head or you want me to use a different head, call me. We'll talk. It's fine. <laughs> All right. But the like a Hunter I series, so a Hunter I-20, Hunter I-25, Hunter I-40, all good heads that we can get really, really good and accurate coverage um, in, in a football field. So I just had this conversation with somebody on the discord here uh, and they were talking about, they showed a, a textbook that had a football field that had what we call a four row design. So it had basically, if you split the field in half, it had two rows on one side of the field uh, running lengthwise and two rows in the field on the other side. Like on, So basically inside the numbers, outside the numbers on either side of the field. And so he asked me, you know, wh what's the, is this how you do it? You know, on a football field. And I said, well, no, not really. So a lot of times what happens on a football or soccer field now is uh, they uh, irrigation designers will run those east and west. So from sideline to sideline. And I absolutely despise that design for a couple of reasons. One, the only reason it's done is to save a little bit of money. And by a little bit, I'm talking like maybe $1,500 on a $20,000 system. Mm-hmm. Now, people might, you know, freak and say, well, geez, man, that's like 8%. Okay, well, 8% times 20 years, right, for the system right. that's in its lifespan. Who gives a shit, okay? That's that's peanuts. So that's one thing that I see that I don't like is sideline to sideline. And I'll tell you why. So how do we grade a football field generally? You were out there at Jack Trice. Yep. Was that crowned at all? Yes. Yeah. Okay, so it was crowned. So again, if you're, you know, if you're following along at home, the middle of the field is higher than the edges of the field. So that water drains, surface drains off to the sides and away from the middle. Well, now when I run those heads that are run east-west, right, those zones that are run east-west, I've got the middle of the field that's higher that, you know, from a wear and tear standpoint for one, and for two, uh, a drainage perspective is going to be a lot, you're going to need a lot more water than the edges of the field, right, down by the benches, Correct. Correct. So what sense does it make to run them east to west? Am I really saving any money when I have to water areas, right? So let's just call it 40% of the field that really doesn't need water, but I'm watering it anyway because of the way my irrigation is laid up. Am I really saving any money? Mm -hmm. So flip this over back to the four-row design. And what uh, the way that I'll spec these out is a five-row. So we'll have part circles on either edge, right? So if we have a track around the field or something like that, or just, you know, a rectangle. Perimeter zone, right? One inside right by, um, just inside the sideline run by the numbers and then one right down the center. And those are running north and south, right? So we're running those laterally. Most systems, because of the amount of flow and pressure that they have, you have to split that up at the 50 yard line. So you end up having um, 10 zones in total. And then one other thing that we'll do too is out right where, like if especially for playing soccer, especially for playing soccer, but even with football too, we'll run two one or two uh, head zones right out by like the two yard line if we're in football, or right out where the PK spot is in soccer, so that we can individually water just that area, right? So if I don't want to run run the entire center 
of the field, like down in between the hash marks or down the center of the soccer field. And the areas of greatest wear and tear are going to be, you know, people taking, you know, practice PKs and stuff during warmups in soccer or, you know, during football warmups, the place here that takes, you know, 30 PAT tries uh, to get himself in the groove or whatever. Yeah. And so being able to water just those areas and, and zero in on it again, for the cost of that, for, um, you know, probably 50 feet of pipe, a couple of heads and, um, a couple of valves, it's so worth it to be able to zero in on those specific areas. So that's sort of my mindset. It's a little bit more specific and a little less formulaic when it comes to dealing with those types of things. So yeah, what do you see? You see people that are doing the same thing as what they do in residential uh, is, oh, hey, I don't really understand the sport, but I understand I have a rectangular area that I need to irrigate and do so as cheaply as possible with as few materials as possible so I can win this bid, get this job, and get the fuck up on out of here and get paid. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's what happens. Yeah, that's interesting. So there's, a, there, there's an interesting design. We don't have to talk about it now, but I do. I, I will share more when we get going on it. But um, of individual heads, we're going to use golf heads on this football field, and they make a golf head that actually has you – know, so typically those are big. They've got like – a six inch or so uh, exposure to the ground. Well, they make these heads that have a little sod cup in them, but the head is completely underground and there's a sod cup that hides it. So when you play over top of it, you never see a sprinkler. And then these sprinklers pop up and they're pushing 90 PSI and they're pushing like 45 to 52 gallons a minute. Wow. So <laughs> you can push some serious water. So we'll talk about that another time. It's an interesting way of doing it. Yeah. So, well, I think that's things, I mean, obviously a lot of people, even if they like golf or they like sports or whatever, they just don't understand that side of it, which you get kind of a firsthand look at all of that stuff. So, I mean, to me, it's fascinating stuff because I don't really understand what goes into all of that. So I, I like hearing about some of that and, and how it's all designed and everything. Well, you know, you and me, I enjoy the questions. So, yeah. but you know, it, all this talk of, you know, getting wet and, and making sure that we've got good soil moisture and everything. I do want to mention somebody very special to us, a good friend of the show that has helped us do something up. But first, before I do that, I do need to grab something here very quickly. Bear with me here. Okay. Ah, oh, that's a good sound. Ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to tell you about my good friend, Bob. Well, Bob is a friend and listener of the show has been here since our inception, and we greatly value him. Bob reached out to us because he has heard us uh, rapping on talking about uh, Ryan Noor's favorite beverage, Keystone Light. Keystone Light. Keystone Light. So Bob was so kind as to send us some free samples of the product that he markets and represents for the Miller Coors Company, which is, again, Keystone Light. So uh, we have been... Uh, snacking on these now for a few weeks leading up to the show. We probably should have done a little bit sooner, but uh, first I want to take this opportunity to thank Bob for being a loyal listener and supporter uh, of our cause. And again, I'll tell you what, this is just, a, this is a personal anecdote. This isn't like paid copy, anything like that. This is the real deal. I haven't had a keystone in like 18 years. You know, it's, it's been a while. And so when I dove back in, I had uh, the only expectations I had to go on was that, Ryan Noor said that this was the greatest beer ever. And <laughs> who am I to believe, you know, to, to not believe 
such an honest guy, right? Just the nicest guy you'll ever meet. So I'm like, all right, Ryan's got to be, you know, telling the truth. And this Bob guy certainly seems nice from Miller Coors. He wants to, you know, let me try their product. And so I got to say, uh, um, this I is drink. no joke. Oh. This is no joke. This is yeah. This okay. is for this is for real. Bob is from uh, the Midwest. Bob he reached is. out to us and said, "Hey, I love lawns. I love beer. You guys love lawns. You love beer. I like Keystone, and I know you guys like Keystone, or at least Ryan Nor does. And we need to get RD on the bus. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to tell you what. I drank a lot of Keystone since our last show. A lot of Keystone, not just because like I needed to or wanted to, but this stuff goes down." really smooth i mean it does it, it, i told and, bob i was like okay i th- you know rd has been you've been an ipa guy for a little while here uh, i have you know, been i have been yeah so it was kind of like oh, are you gonna switch to a light beer again i don't know about that it's kind of you know once you you like something you like it but it's like we're gonna give him a shot here this is no joke. I've been drinking Keystone since college, and basically, I just never graduated from that because I was like, "There's really no reason." I love all types of beers. I like any type of craft beer. It doesn't matter. But this has always been the standby for me, and no joke, I just I like it. And so, whenever I'm drinking something light after a day in the yard, whatever it is, it's just you're absolutely right. It hits the spot. You're right. You know, this really was like, uh, as you mentioned, you know, there's that metamorphosis in your beer drinking where you 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 pass on past the college beers and you and you age on to different things. And so, you know, it's like uh, graduating from your underoos into like you know adult boxers or boxer briefs, right? Well, I've come back to my underoos, and I've got you know girls, my wife, telling <laughs> me that my ass looks good in these underoos, and I'm pretty excited about it. Right. So that's me getting back into Keystone Light. Yep. So I have to say, you know, I hope that uh, they can continue to support the show uh, in any way, shape or form, whether it's just, you know, uh, we really it, really all it is is we just want to grow our listenership and, 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 and push the show out to more people that want to learn about lawns and what we do and ask questions and all that kind of stuff. So, Bob, again, seriously, from the bottom of our hearts, thank you for all the support. Um, yes. And he, for- he basically said no need to talk about this or please don't we don't even know whether we were supposed to mention his name or not but we just did so bob might not be his real name might not be his real name so that's cool but yes absolutely if you're looking for this is just a personal thing for me if you're looking for a good refreshing beer after a day in the lawn please get some keystone light we don't need that shitty bush light here in iowa that everybody drinks gives me a headache (laughs) let's not go there go with some keystone yeah i mean i i would call it the perfect crushable beer like you're not gonna go and and take an ipa and throw back five or six beers and be like oh hey it's gonna be a great day tomorrow morning no keystone light completely different story throw back four five six ten of these whatever you know uh chances are you're going to have a fine day the next day you know so again a very functional beer for incredibly functional people and again we appreciate the sport so looking forward to uh anything we can do to continue that relationship but we digress again so i guess we've talked about the irrigation piece let's talk about the mowing piece i think you mentioned something about just like dull appearance or something like that was there anything to do with with that or was i was i not reading the tea leaves there correctly no it's uh 
I'm just kind of behind on, I feel like it's just, un, everything is kind of under fertilized at this point. So I need to get better because my program works fairly well on, you know, pushing everything in the fall on an established yard or, you know, looking at a taller yard probably that's going to carry over fairly well. But since I'm spoon feeding, I don't, I honestly don't think I need to go look at, uh, at my notes. I don't think though I did any sort of winterizer really of any kind on the low cut turf. So by the time now we're to May and I haven't really put anything on it, it comes out of the gate strong, looks good. And then it just sort of crashes. It seems like. And and so you're going through a completely different uh, demand curve, right? For N Mm -hmm. and your growth potential and all that. So if it were me, one with the water and what you're putting out again, what's your growth been like? I guess, like, you know, are you, are you collecting clippings? You're collecting clippings, right? Yeah. So, this has been two years in a row where this exact same scenario has happened where it's been comes out of winter, looks great. I do the first couple mows, it's on fire, and then we get like a hard freeze and really low temperatures for let's say a week or two. And then that kind of like really puts it down, stunts it a little bit, just kind of puts it in shock and then inconsistent temperatures since then. So some days it's warm, like I just told you, like it's 88. And then the next day, like tonight, it's supposed to be 36. So there's just no consistency there to where I feel like it has any idea what it's doing. And it kind of looks like that where it's like, oh, maybe I should grow. And then the next day it's like, no, I shouldn't. Um, So I'm not getting a lot of, you know, I was gone on that little trip and I came back and I hadn't mowed for five or six days and it really had not grown much during that period. So that was telling me for sure. I was like, I don't have any fertilizer on here cause it's not doing anything. And then tonight that big bad ammonium sulfate. Yeah. I just blasted that. I just blasted that thing tonight. <laughs> what was, what's blasted? Give me a number. Oh, Pound? Uh, mm, probably close. Probably close. <laughs> you better be watering the ever living piss out of that tonight. Yep. Especially on dry soils. So I you know, I I'm No, I don't think it's a pound. Response. I think it's a little less than that. But I didn't have that much I didn't have that much ammonium sulfate left, but I was like, you know what? I'm tired of this. I'm gonna make this grow and we're gonna do something. So Yeah, you know, sometimes you do that, you you know, you get into that phase where it's not responding, so you slap it around a little bit and see if you can make it do what it wants. But eh, I would say generally that works. It's okay. But I'd be, I'll be interested to see what your clipping yields are like, you know, again, looking at your weather come, you know, today when we're recording, this is Tuesday. So I would say by Saturday, Sunday, you ought to be seeing a big time clipping response. Yeah. Question. So I'll be interested. So definitely report back and, and let us know what you see, but it's the fertilizer thing in the springtime. Everybody yeah, is freaked out. Oh man, I can't put down any fertilizer because it's springtime and I'll push growth. It, again, it's all a function of temperature and water, right? That's what's going to drive growth and growth is ultimately going to push the plant to demand more nutrients. And if they're not there or, you know, not there in the right quantities, then that's where you're going to run into trouble. And so yeah. I think, 
you might be there on N and and is that going to make the watering look better and all? No, it's not, right? You know, soil moisture is soil moisture, and there's that, that's um, correlated with growth and everything like that, but it's not like independent of. And so that's where I think you're going to have to really see one: get your watering on point this week, and don't be afraid to pound it. Sorry, water bill, RIP. Yep, and just see what kind of response you get in terms of clipping yield. Really keep a good close eye on that over the next you know, three to seven days. Yeah. Yeah, I agree because, I mean, I'm on that typical program there where usually if we had a decent year where it was raining and, you know, I'd had a good program in the fall, then that sort of flush of everything is going to come out and I don't really, I feel like I don't want to go too crazy at that point, but it just hasn't happened the last couple of years. It, It just seems like it's been sitting there and then by the time I get to late spring-ish, I'm like, well, now I'm behind because it's not doing anything. So, no, And I think that's part of learning the property, right, and, and how to respond to the weather patterns and what you get. And it, it literally it takes years to do that and to be comfortable and confident of saying, yes, I need to do this and I should get X response, right? Mm-hmm. And not waiting for something to happen and be like, oh, shit, that happened. And now I've got to do this, you know, to make up for it or something like that. You get a little bit more uh, responsive and, you know, rather than reactive in anticipating what's going to come next. And so I'll be interested to see how, you know, your summer shakes out. But then especially as you, you know, move on to bigger and greener pastures of how that, you know, how that one comes together and two the uh the learning curve of a new place right in a, in a much bigger place bigger scale yep so how much can you focus on and look at and observe and everything on a bigger scale day in and day out than what you do currently right yeah and i was thinking that tonight i was like you know what i definitely can't go too crazy too fast because it's it's hard enough to pay attention like i do as <laughs> with my ocd on what i have right now to where i'm like micro focused on all of these different things. I'm like, I can't go too crazy, you know, in a larger area, but that really wasn't ever the plan in general. It was just having the space in order to do a lot more smaller experiments, I guess. Mm, you'll still go crazy. Well, I, I definitely, I want to do a green. I want to do, you know, a bunch of tea boxes in a fairway and all, and all this fun stuff. But when yeah. are you going to start playing golf then? Cause you got, I mean, you can't, well, I love golf. That's the thing. I, uh, oh, boy. okay. My wife told me this last week. She said, okay, so I want to do a sprint car race and I made a video about it. And I said in there, I was like, you know, I love sprint car racing. She's like, since when do you love sprint car racing? I said, <laughs> since forever. I She's like, well, you don't go to that many races. I said, yeah, because I don't have freaking time to do it, but I would like to. Right. And I was like, it's exactly the same as golf. She's like, what about golf? I said, I like golfing. I love golfing. I just don't ever do it because I don't have the time. <laughs> so I'm going to create my own situation for golfing, and then I will do it. I could see that. I, I could see you... Uh... I could see you walking out there with uh, a little soft, a soft pack cooler of uh, of stones, right? And just you know, walking around with a couple of clubs and bang the ball around. I, yeah, I, I could definitely see that. Uh, that would. Uh, I was never a fantastic golfer, but back when I was about fifteen, 
the course in my hometown, which is actually mm-hmm. a fairly nice nine hole course. Mm-hmm. It cost about oh god, like seventy five dollars maybe for the entire season. Like if you were under nineteen years old or whatever. Oh wow! So I would go two, sometimes three times a day. I mean, if you live in a town of a thousand people, there is literally nothing to do. <laughs> so I would be like, okay, I'm going to go in the morning and then in the afternoon. I was a decent golfer for a while, but then I haven't played forever now. Well, and so that that that'll be the the rule of the uh, the course out there at Nor Family Turf Farms is play nine, drink nine. You know. That's just that's just the way it rolls. You'll you know, be invited so. right away, RD. Oh, I I'll, I might we might play twenty seven then. <laughs> <laughs> Have three left in that thirty rack from Bob. Oh yeah, if we're if we're lucky. So, uh, okay. So, I guess just to round again round out the climate thing is, uh, you know, I feel for you. I really do. I what have you know. guys been experiencing there? It's it was a it was a very dry April. Um, and then the last couple of weeks, so we had a, a snow two weeks ago now we had, it was one of those days where it was beautiful leading up to it, like two days of 80 degrees. And then the temperature dropped like significantly, like 50 degrees or something like that. And overnight, one night we had three to four inches of very wet, heavy snow. And so again, you know, it was beautiful leading up to it. We get the snow, it kind of got a little cold there. And we've now had a couple of weeks in a row where we've got fairly significant rains, like up over an inch. I think we had two inches last week, and then uh, it's rained the last several days here. Oh, wow. Yeah, so kind of like a flip-flop of you know April weather in May now is what it seems like. But uh, so far, we're, we're, we're getting caught back up. We haven't hit the the point where it's going to be you know, a, a problem of, of any sort, really. It's just right. kind of a pain in the butt right now is because we were getting so much stuff done and moving so far forward without having rain days or anything like that. But now we're, you know, getting behind a little bit. But so, yeah, it's it, it's uh, a typical spring in Ohio, I would say. You know, a little bit warmer than normal, it seems like, so far. But this weekend, I think there's a threat of frost here uh, coming up this weekend yet. So... Usually our first frost day or last frost date, I should say, is about the 13th or so of May, 12, 13, something like that. And so we're going to have one uh, on the 9th, potentially 8th or 9th, that would be running right up against that. So it's pretty late for us to have a frost, uh, which, you know, in a normal sense with cool season grass, isn't a big deal. But when you're the asshole in Ohio that's got Bermuda grass fields, you know, you're kind (laughs) of like, God, can we just be done with this? It's it's I'll tell you what I've been very very pleased with uh, how both of the fields that I have that are that are or look after. Yeah, let's talk call about uh, just preface that a little bit because some people don't know um, that you have been working on some some Bermuda there and kind of how that's that's gone with coming out of winter maybe and uh, I mean a climate that it's sort of right on the the line I guess I would say as to what might happen yeah it's it's definitely on the line and there's always a concern so uh tahoma 31 bermuda on two fields one's overseeded one is not overseeded two different sites one's on a sand cap that's the overseeded one one's on soil that's the non-overseeded one you know so in a sand cap the the concern is always that uh you'll get 
significant desiccation or drying through the winter and that's one of the big drivers of winter kill and i'll tell you what we didn't see it you know we we, we definitely are dinged up on like sideline areas on that field like where there's a ton of traffic from lacrosse and whatnot from the bench areas um this spring but by and large through the middle of the field you know it's already starting to chug pretty hard so they've got another three weeks of lacrosse games and at that point scalp it down spray out the rye and get through transition and then beat the hell out of it um with cultural practices and then yeah it'll be the same thing we've always done out there which is just like kind of a seven or so week sprint to the first football game of really pushing growth and pushing roots and uh, be really good so on the other side of the non-overseated field that was even more encouraging to see because again there's nothing there's no ryegrass or anything like that to hide what you're seeing right so um i'd say we started here maybe about uh four weeks ago so probably right around the first week of april of starting to see green up on that stuff and now we are probably 60 to 70 percent greened up if we if we will scalp there's a an event out there at that field they're going to play on semi-dormant bermuda which i really have no qualms about because after this weekend uh coming up for their event there's nothing on it so it can sit there and heal in um and all that kind of stuff so really no worries there but yeah so it's going to be interesting to see that stuff chug back once it's scalped out um and just see what happens i mean i think that's one too where on soil, it definitely doesn't move quite as much as what you see on sand, which I would say is typical. But in that sense, uh, you, know, you know, there's definitely some gaps to close up on some of the areas that got played on before winter, right? So same thing of high wear impact areas, you know, that they played on late into the fall, not completely bare, but definitely thin. So like uh, you know, certain areas of goal mouths. And really, I'll tell you, the, the toughest spot in soccer is not even – in the field of play it's the damn reference like <laughs> yeah the the sideline officials running that cow path like up and down up and down the field those are some of the hardest spots to take care of in any sport because it's just a constant traffic and it's the entire game right right so that that's one thing so be interested to see how that all responds but man i, I as a yankee and you know a uh quote-unquote Canadian, according to some of our Southern friends. Yes. Uh, citizen. I, uh, I love Bermuda season. I well, love how, seeing that stuff. How did you decide ass. to put that in, or why did you decide to put in some Bermuda in, in a couple situations? Uh, so on the, on the overseeded field, it's a high school field, and football is their predominant sport. They're uh, a, a school that's uh, very, very strong at the highest level of football here in Ohio. And so the thought process was, okay, you know, do we put bluegrass out there and make it chug through the summertime, get its ass kicked really by weather, you know, climate, all that kind of stuff, diseases and all that kind of stuff. And then, hey, now for the next 12 weeks, you have to be the star of the show, you know, through the entire fall versus Bermuda grass where, okay, hey, you're going to have the entire summer and they don't really do camps or anything like that. It's pretty much hands off during the summertime on the stadium. And that's one unique thing about it. Um, that, that kind of drove the decision a little bit more, but, um, you know, looking at that of, Hey, we've got basically 11, 12 weeks of absolutely perfect growing weather with no stress, 
whatever we want to do to it. And then we'll ride that wave of being at peak as soon as football season starts and ride that out for 12 weeks and still have it in great shape. Not to mention, you know, from a playability or safety aspect, the footing on that surface is relative to the Kentucky bluegrass is far and away better. You know, it's much more forgiving. It's got uh, a much more uh, sturdy rotational resistance, right? So when you plant, cut, accelerate, decelerate, all those types of things, it responds so much better uh, for the athlete, you know, not just the turf, but for the athlete. And that's what we're really after. And so it's, uh, you know, it was definitely something that when we first pitched it, kind of got looked at like, are you serious? Yeah. And you got to look straight back in, the, in their face with a dead stare and be like, yeah, I'm 100% serious. And then when you go out there and you've sprigged it and it's, you know, whatever, Father's Day or, or, or you know, end of June, and they've got a game in seven, eight weeks, and the field is sand with a few dead sprigs <laughs> in it, dead looking sprigs in it. And they're like, are you serious? And you're like, yeah, I'm totally serious, right? That's some pressure right there. My, yeah, but that's what you sign yourself up for. So, that was one that, that was one thing. And then um, from a maintenance and care side, like fungicides, you know, we'll do some treatments at the end of the year for spring dead spot and things like that. But generally speaking, in the summertime, when it would be like maintaining bluegrass on the razor's edge and trying to make sure you make it through the summer clean yeah, yeah. for football season, this is mow it, water it, keep it fed, and get the fuck out of its way, right? That's really all you got to do. And so for, you know, school folks and things like that, it makes it very, very straightforward. Now, on the other field, it's not overseeded. That's a, uh, a very high-end private soccer organization that plays tournaments all over the United States. And so they play in California, Florida, Texas, things like that. So they wanted to have the ability to train on that surface before they went and flew halfway across the country gotcha. to play on a, on a completely different and much faster surface than the bluegrass or the synthetic turf that they were used to. So... I thought it was a very forward-thinking move on their part um, to do that and to take a little bit of a risk on a brand-new facility and do something like that. But, again, they were just like, hey, you know, this is going to benefit our kids in terms of their training and uh, their acclimation to a surface before they get out there. And it's like, holy shit, this is way different than anything we're used to. They, right. can, they can practice on it for a couple of weeks leading up to, and then, boom. So when do play. you overseed on the the football field then when do you start putting the rye on there usually um end of august and so we'll do it in a few waves this year we really didn't have this past year we didn't have the same opportunities that we did in terms of breaks right so uh typically it'll be somewhere between like uh 12 and like 18 pounds of rye per thousand total and ideally we'd like to do that in like three six pound treatments like a week apart to kind of keep everything rolling along mm -hmm. and that works out pretty well and uh this past year it was one 12 pounder at one time because we had like a three-day break because they had everything kind of stacked in there because of covid and whatnot so definitely a little bit more challenging this past year didn't quite get as good of a cake as i would like but it's everything still played fine i wasn't worried about that but yeah so interesting in how the overseeding process works out there when you're in play and it's not just like you know your front lawn and it's like hey i'm gonna throw some rye out because you know the remute is going dormant or right starting to starting to slow down it's totally different when there's you know 280 pound young men and or you know lesser weighing uh ladies out there playing <laughs> soccer football whatever the case might yeah. be 
or lesser wing men like like RK when he was in high school. Yeah, would you weigh like a buck eighty? Oh buck god, 80? like <laughs> buck ten. <laughs> you were the guy stuffing Twinkies down his throat to make weight for the wrestling meet, weren't you? I didn't wrestle, but if I would have, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was at like one hundred and five probably. Coach so. is sitting there watching you down like mashed potatoes and everything, and 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 you know, coach is supposed to be in math class right now, nor. You better put down that entire bowl right now, because <laughs> we got a big meet tonight against West. Against West, yep. Uh, coach, I'm not hungry anymore. I don't care. <laughs> you're gonna wrestle at 110 tonight, or you're gonna freaking walk home. I was always trying. I was literally always trying to gain weight because it just it <laughs> did not happen for me. But now that I drink so many goddamn Keystones, I'm good. You know. So, yeah, that's your weight gain shake. You know, before you had those all that GNC stuff. Now you just go down to. Hy-Vee or whatever, you know, and just pick yourself up a 30-rack of Keystones. So let's talk about that project real quick that I was working on, the seating project, because... Oh, that's got to be terrible. There, I, I mean, I'm not Let judging, me tell you for a fact here, RD, it did not rain a single time <laughs> since that seed came down, except for like two days ago. Do you remember that movie Vegas Vacation? Like the, yes. you know, the, the vacation series? And uh, it's like when Clark's real down on his luck and he's gambling with Cousin Eddie. And he said, Eddie, anybody ever tell you your bad luck? And uh, Cousin Eddie goes, you know, Clark, those are my mother's dying words. <laughs> Nor your bad luck, dude, when it comes I, to rain, apparently. I always don't say. Come, don't come to Columbus until until we, we're like in the middle of a monsoon because yeah. I need you to shut the water off. Yep. Yeah, so, uh, I mean, they got a decent rain when I didn't get any, uh, like, two days ago. So, we'll see what happens. Are they doing any supplemental irrigation, like, up around the house or any key areas or anything like that to see? A little bit, but I just, I don't know. I mean, whatever's going to... Not level? No, no. Whatever's going to come up is going to come up, and then, as we already knew, it was going to be, like, a let's fix something in the fall type of deal, but... Let's fix all of it. Let's fix all of it in the fall type. So of deal. a spring seating project just became a summer, late summer, early fall seating project because that's that is in Minnesota, yeah. No, it's in. Um, oh, it's in. It's in Iowa, but still, like we're in that same type of zone where about late August or so is probably a good time to to get on it again. Yeah, I mean, so I guess the, the attention now shifts to. How do you manage summer annuals, right? Do you just let everything proliferate? Do you go in there like early June and try to spread as much crabgrass, like early stage crabgrass as possible, you know, in in hopes of salvaging what is there, right? And then overseed into that? Or is it just, hey, we're going to rip the Band-Aid off and start fresh? I'm going to see, because I mean, obviously, in the next few days or so will be sort of what I know will happen with it legitimately and that's a good question i don't know i feel like if there's anything there that's salvageable then i'd probably come in and do some spraying so that i don't have to completely start over even if there was 20 percent coverage it'd be better than nothing at all but yeah i would agree i i I, that would be the route i would take is that i'm going to preserve and protect what's there right and even some of that seed banking you never know what might Mm-hmm. kind of pop up and get going um 
especially if it has been that dry, right? If nothing's really activated or uh, broken that seed coat, then, you know, you might have a chance. But at any rate, yeah, I think uh, you could you could do some tests. You know, you could, like, go willy-nilly with some different herbicides here and some <laughs> different concoctions. And how much can I screw up by doing this? You right. know, which is on label and, and legitimate and, and real and everything like that. Not, like, um, you know, going out there and fogging lawn with – uh, a three-way product putting on a video that would be blasphemy but at any rate i think you've got an opportunity there to preserve the work that you've done already because if it, you know if it was shit if it was a postage stamp on i mean hell i'd probably tell you hey just yeah let it fly yeah spray it out be done with it but with the size and the scale of that is like you you put some time in on that bitch yeah and you don't want to just see it all go for naught and then have to completely start over. Well, and like we talked about, you might we might be a little surprised in terms of if the soil temperatures had come up and you get even a pretty decent rain there and it's just the right amount of time the right amount of time for for the germination, maybe it'll be more decent than I thought, but I'm not crossing my fingers like it's going to be some fantastic, you know, RK project that i've done in the past but that's why i went into it the way that i did and what i said on the video was like this is a project where you're there's so many different variables that are out of control of my control Mm -hmm. that this is what you have to expect if you're going to do some sort of big seeding project like this especially on acreage especially relying on rain especially like there's so many different things then that's the reason why you have to have your expectations in check and just be like, okay, well, here's what's going to happen, and let's fix it later. Well, and I like that sort of like live action uh, flow charting, right, of the whole thing of, okay, hey, you're right, variables. I could be here, here, here. Well, I move up the chart, and now we're here in you know early June, and I'm here on the flow chart. Well, okay, is there, you know, what's the per- percentage of crabgrass that's present? Okay, it's 50% of the lawn. Okay, you know what? I'm going to make a blanket app. I'm going to go for it. Or, hey, you know what? There's less than 10% that I see right now because it's been so goddamn dry that this stuff isn't germinating. It's not popping. And so in that case, maybe I'm spot spraying, right? And Mm -hmm. again, at scale, it's about trying to mitigate cost, right? To a certain extent, right? If I don't have to go out there with a full half gallon of, you know, uh, drive accelerate or something like that then and if i can just spot spray them yeah by all means go for it like just do the bare minimum of what you need to do but i i don't know i think it'll be interesting to see that that's real life and i think that's what so many people go through and doesn't get put out on youtube enough to say like hey this is the kind of shit that people in the real world deal with all the time and what do you do well what do you do that's the problem with youtube is that if you oh, do a project yeah. like that, people are going to expect, oh, well, you didn't know what the hell you were talking about. <laughs> so now it looks like shit. And you're like, no, what I told you at the beginning was that this is what is real life and this is what could happen. And I can't force the weather to do what I want it to do. I can't you know, have everything be ideal. But that's the whole point of it is that if you're going to do the same thing that I did, I mean, maybe you do it next year and it rains 
a quarter of an inch for four days in a row. Absolutely yeah. perfect. And everything comes in and every like you just don't ever know. But the whole point of the video that I made was that these are the steps. If you get the ideal conditions after those steps, perfect. If you don't, then we're gonna have to figure it out afterwards. No, I mean if 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 there was an Olympic sport of putting the most amount of time, effort, and money into something grass related and having it look like shit i've probably won the gold medal <laughs> at least three four times i mean it, it, you're right it's 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 you can control enough variables but i think that's the that's the piece or pieces that are important for youtube is that hey this is what you can control i can control when i come out here and what i spray and how much of it i spray for uh summer annual weed control right because I'm in a situation now. I knew I was going to have to spray it, but regardless of whether I have 10% germination or 90% germination, I still have to be able to deal effectively with these weeds right now and then still have a plan for, okay, what am I going to come back with after the fact to continue to fill this in, especially on tall fescue. Again, bunch type grass, one seed equals one plant. So I'm not going to get, don't buy into the whole freaking lateral spread oh god excuse all that kind of stuff like that's a i'm not gonna go down that road but that's my like not. number one thing that just drives me absolutely crazy lately is how many people message me and say that well did have you tried that lateral like have you tried the the spreading fescue have you tried the um, rye grass that spreads i'm like it's you're you're paying attention again to just like all marketing things and let's say it does a little bit like in general, okay, fine. But I can seed ryegrass and have it come back in four days. I don't give a shit. I don't care about right. it spreading. Exactly, exactly. And I think that's the thing is taking into control all those variables and getting to the next step and then saying, okay, what can I do? But then what what, what should I do? And those are, those are questions I think people get to Quite frequently, and I'll, I'll be honest, I mean, I see them even in professionally managed projects, right? Like people get into situations and I usually have to come in and help them out of it. And I'm not saying that I'm, I have all the right answers every single time, but uh, it's a situ, you know, situation you get into. Okay, hey, like uh, we don't know what to do here and we have a whole bunch of bad choices. Which one should we make? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and this is, sounds like it's going to be one of those cases. You're going to have a whole bunch of bad choices. So which one? you know, reduces the risk, mitigates the risk to the fullest extent and puts you in the best position so that, okay, hey, when I get to the next waypoint mm -hmm. here in the project, I'm not like, oh, shit, I really should have done, yeah. you know, this herbicide app and now I'm, I'm, I've got a, whatever, a 60-day seed, you know, seed blackout that I can't do. Yeah. I think what Oops. the experience has taught me uh, over time is just, you know, I... Uh, you you know me kind of in the way that my personality is in terms of wanting everything a certain way, but what I've learned over time is that there's just so many things that you just can't always have the way that you want them right away. But as long as you don't, as long as you learn enough to where you're like, okay, I have these options, I have this support system to help me learn these specific things, then there's just no way of failing as long as you don't give up on it i mean I, that's the way i look at it is okay so i have to grow some more grass like you always said i killed some grass i grow some more grass like there's there's <laughs> no true. there's no way of failing it's just let's 
look at the variables, see what we need to do, and we'll just work on it. I mean, yeah, there is no end, right? There is no end in sight. It's just a matter of okay, when is it time to start over? Look past what you've done. Yeah, forget about what you've done, and and try to forge a new path. Right? That's that's really the only thing that is really the reset button, in in, in per se. So. Yeah, I don't know. I don't get too I don't get too bogged down in the whole like failure or what, you know, I, I definitely look at what went wrong, what could have gone better, what could, you know, what get what went right. Those are different things that I'm measuring. But in terms of uh outright failure like hey, everything that I did fucking sucked and this whole thing is <laughs> dumb and garbage, like that's never happened. No. Let's talk about a couple of questions here real quick that I just grabbed from some emails that I got from people. So one of them, this is kind of a kind of a long message here, so I won't read through everything, but the gist of it is that they're in Chicago and I don't know if they did it or someone else added some zoysia into a lawn in Chicago. Now, I want to say here mm-hmm. in my town, there's one lawn that I'm pretty sure is partially zoysia because... Obviously, you can pretty much tell warm season it doesn't get <laughs> it doesn't get very green until about June, you know, late June here. Um, but they're kind of wondering what approach would that be with a grass like that? Can they overseed cool season into it? Is that going to work? You know, this is pretty interesting. Oh, man, it's always the ones like this. Reminds me of the one in Georgia or uh, Virginia, right? Mm-hmm. And the this isn't quite mulch on the lawn, but this is this is bad. Okay, so uh, how, uh, people might ask, how did the zoysia get there? Well, um, back in the day, and I don't, you might even still be able to do it, but uh, Parade Magazine that came in the Sunday paper would always have like an insert in there to buy zoysia plugs, and what it, what it was is that they would advertise it and say, "Hey, you can get grass to fill in anywhere with this," which I mean, really, zoysia can be a pretty aggressive spreader over a few years. So, right, so like 50 plugs or so that they would send you, you can kind of drop them in at different points of your lawn and get stuff to fill in. Now, I've seen RK, I've got a picture, and maybe I'll share it with you after the show, of some lawns where it was clearly like very targeted plugging. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. so you've got this like, you know, uh, kind of Dalmatian look. <laughs> of zoysia and cool season so that kind of precedes us into or segues us into the mixing of zoysia and cool season would be problematic for a number of reasons um one i'm not sure that you're going to be able to get seed sufficiently established in zoysia unless it's dormant and even then with the type of seeding equipment that you use would be absolutely paramount because getting down to the soil getting that plant or that seed into said soil and then getting sufficient light down to it um, to grow and become established, I think would be very problematic. Texture differences, completely different texture between zoysia and cool season grasses. It would be a really weird looking thing. I'm not saying it doesn't exist out there. There's a lawn, you know, RK right around the corner for me that I walk past every day with the dog and the kids and, Man, it's you know this time of year it's 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 actually greened up pretty good because we've had decent temperatures, but you know wintertime sticks out like a sore thumb where yeah. all these like ran, random shoots of tall fescue are poking yeah. through, and it's like 
hey, look at me over here. I'm going to get, you know, ground drowned out by all my big Zoysia brothers here in about five months by, you know, summertime. So I don't think that would be a good idea. I think the best bet in this case would be pick a species and go with it. Yeah, I think they asked, do I just perform a full fall renovation? Uh, Yeah, and so in that case, that's one where you're going to want to get very targeted with this is where it is tough with zoysia is killing it off is always something that you want to do in the fall as it's beginning to go dormant right so it's still able to take up herbicides and things like that and it's not usually just roundup that you're going to want to use to do that right so um specific other herbicides that you would want to use i don't want to mention them and get people (laughs) riled up so i'll just leave it at that that there's there's ways to figure out what you want to do yeah um come check out the lawdiscord.com and look for a guy named ray that's the best thing i'll tell you but in any any regard um trying to do that at the end of fall and so that might close down your seating window that's my only concern is that you'd be looking at a very late fall seeding and or a spring seeding to get cool season grass established because you're using herbicides and the weather, right? Mm-hmm. The natural decline of the grass to kill it off. And hopefully that winter finishes it off uh, such that you have an opportunity to then grow cool season grass. So you might be able to get it up and established and, and get it going in the fall and then really push it in the spring to get it to fill in and things like that, like with Kentucky bluegrass or something like that. But um that's going to be a tricky situation and i know others have gone through it and seen it before in these cool season areas but um, yeah, other yeah I've, options, had, I've had that question plugs. i've had that question before too because not only is it you know obviously uh trying to deal with with those two grass types but you have to think about it as one being warm season, one being cool season. There's different maintenance programs there too to where that's the other main problem is you need to be working on the zoysia in the summer. Whereas, you know, the other cool season stuff is like holding back at that point. So it's just not a good mixture of everything going on. Yeah. Herbicides would be really tricky. And there's, I'm not sure that there's any pros actually in this case. There's, I don't think there's any. I, I can't think of any unless you really, you know, you really love zoysia and you want to have it uh, be in your life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, second question here was one that you know I just talked about on a recent video. Uh, the slope section on my backyard that kind of goes down towards the creek. It kind of got people thinking about some similar situations in their yard that might be on a hill or this one specifically said they had sloping as much as 45 degrees, which is crazy. Good Lord. But they're constantly having issues. Seems no matter what I do, all my grass and fertilizing is running down the hill. The top is dry, spotty, and weedy. Bottom is lush and green and full. So uh, what could you kind of look at in terms of hills like that or a uh, a program for something like that well i and not knowing where they're at uh in, in in the country i'm assuming they're cool season i'm just going to assume that most most of your people are right i mean would you say uh, that's fair that surprisingly not not as much as you would think but really? let's let's just go with that for for this all one. right we'll, we'll go with that for this one so in that case the easiest way would be sod it and pin it down, right? And that's going to be expensive. 
and it's but it's going to take you the least amount of time to get something to root in establish um stop erosion of that hillside and get things stabilized as quickly as possible so when i say pin it i'm talking about sod staples which you usually can buy at the sod farm you can buy them online too they come in a box of like a thousand for maybe 45 50 bucks and you're literally just pushing those in with your feet in or nailing them in with like a uh, rubber mallet or a hammer and those will hold in pretty good that's that's one option that's probably your most expensive option but again the quickest in terms of overall time to get things established and stabilized. The next thing, and Ryan, you use these, I, I think with great success, is the uh, Futura Netless Blankets. Mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit about those? Yeah. Um, you know, I'm a, on that seating project that I did on the north side of my house, which is not an extreme slope, but it was enough to where I seated it down in that day. I remember sending you a text or something, RD, and I was like, you know, I have a pretty good feeling that by the time I get done with this, if I don't do something, I'm going to have all the seed down at the bottom of this little slope because I know how it runs when it rains, and I know my normal luck when I seed, which is it rains like hell, and it did. And uh, so you're like, yep, yeah, you need to go get some of these blankets. So I've had so many questions about them, and I wish there was a great <laughs> spot that I could just be like, yeah, go buy it here. But for the most part, it's kind of a go-to-a-landscape-supply-type store, you know, where contractors would go for landscaping stuff, and that's basically where I found them. And they're not cheap, but what I found with them is that, I mean, I had a, an extreme rain after I put those things down and they just suck down to the ground. They hold all the seed in place. The water kind of runs over top of everything. Amazing, amazing stuff. Yeah. And that's, that's the advantage of those is that, you know, if you're going to make that investment in the time and effort and money to put the seed down in those spots, right. Where it's high propensity for washouts and erosion to occur. The, these blankets in particular excel in the sense that one grass can grow up through them and it doesn't need to be taken up right it's it's going to eventually biodegrade and work its way into the soil so that's one thing that's that's key with it one thing i will say about these and hopefully you're not doing this on a 45 degree slope but if you are trying to mow real low and you're using these things <laughs> it's going to be a cluster for a while so don't do that just you know rotary mow and we're talking like two inches plus as far as a mowing height but Oh, God, is, I went it, down below that right away. You know I did. <laughs> Jesus. Hey, 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 hey. Okay. Those are things that you, it's like, you know, things you don't tell your boss, and I'm not your <laughs> boss in this case, but like this is one of those moments where if I was at work right now and somebody said something, like, oh, yeah, you remember that time that Jimmy almost cut his finger off with the tractor? Like, okay, that's, stop, stop, stop. <laughs> I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. Okay. Remember that time that Mom No, I didn't the, do that. I didn't do that. Remember that? Remember that time that mom brought the glamour shots home and dad went upstairs with her and all we heard was <laughs> <laughs> never figured out what that was. Okay. Anyway, back to our story here. So the, um, <laughs> sorry, I shouldn't laugh at my own joke, but that was bad. Um, we've all been there. Let's be, let's be honest. We've all been there. It's a, it's a horrifying thing to think about, but, Hey, that's how you got here in the first place, right? <laughs> God bless your parents. Love them. So um, 
those blankets are good. The other things that are available, right, are these things. You can get them at Home Depot, and and they're maybe a little bit more widely available. Are the Excelsior blankets, and those are like so. The Futura blankets are what they call netless. They don't have. Um, they kind of look like chicken wire, but this real fine, like plastic uh, mesh that goes over the top of it yeah. holds it together. So the Futuras don't have that. And that's what makes them super convenient and easy to use because the grass grows up through them. They biodegrade and there's nothing left yeah. when it's all said and done versus these Excelsior blankets, which are a net. It's like a sandwich of straw. So there's a net, then a layer of straw, then another net. You roll them out, you lay them down. And you cover that area and you get great erosion control, like so your seed doesn't wash or anything like that. But at the end, and, the, and on a hillside like this, like 45 degrees, I wouldn't be so worried about it. But in other cases, I think the, the um, if you're going to mow and maintain it at a, a lawn height, to me, the future of netless blankets makes sense. So last thing I'll say real quick is, you know, to your point about distribution and them being hard to come by. Site one usually carries these, and again, Futura, F-U-T-E-R-R-A, and they're made by Profile Products. Um, again, I have no affiliation. I'm not getting a kickback. I don't care. Just saying, if you want to use them and you don't want your shit to wash out, you should check them out. Site one carries them, and then any um, erosion control, yeah. seeding, contracting type uh, supply house, which I'm going to tell you what, you don't think, man, there's no way I got one of those in my town. Yep. Let me tell you what. Uh, schools, parks, highway jobs, um, uh, freaking mini malls, anything like that, you probably got one and you don't even know about That's it. That's what I was going to so. say is because I called my site one and uh, I don't think they carried this. For some reason, they didn't carry that specific one here, but I did find another place. I, Again, just like you said, no clue it existed. It was just like a landscape supply type of place. But yeah, they had all that type of stuff for contractors who were doing that type of work. And so I just picked up a couple of them. Like I said, they're not super cheap by any means. They are kind of fragile too. Like when you're laying them down, it's just like a little woven. It's like putting sawdust into an actual blanket. So, mm-hmm. you know, they're they're not extremely resilient to you going crazy with them. But for the most part, I mean, I, I, I was thoroughly impressed with everything. But back to this question too, I think what they were also wanting to know is let's say you've already done the seeding. Let's say you've got Mm. like 50% coverage or something. I think they're kind of dealing with a yard where at the bottom, everything looks perfect because everything on their initial plan worked out perfectly, but it washed to the bottom. But Mm -hmm. now let's say they've got a hill that they have to constantly deal with. It's thin, what are some things there? I mean, I, I kind of have a few ideas myself, not that I, you know, I've never had any extreme problems with my slope, but it's not that crazy either. So uh, the one thing I'd be concerned with too, in a situation like that, and let's say you haven't been there or just bought the property or whatever would be, you know, the the depth and or composition of your top. So the top part of that slope is going to be vastly different than what it is at the bottom. And so, Let's say that you had minimal washing anyway, and you're looking at this and you're like, well, shit, how come this isn't growing up here at the top? You know, what's going on? I would bet you $100 that if you go look at that, the soil on the top of the slope is going to be far different and much less quality than what the, the stuff is at the bottom. So my first thing would be 
examine that and figure out if it is a erosion issue or if we have a soil issue that is preventing seed from germinating in this area, number one. Number two, if you don't have access to some of the matting products that we talked about, there are um, commercially available tackifiers, right? T-A-C-K-I-F-E-R, tackifier that you can uh, look into and spray on. I think there's even some, I want to say, that are like hose-in sprayers or something that's very easily applicable. Not, again, the, the kind of professional stuff that would come out of a, a hydro seeder or a hydro mulching machine, but can also be effective at trying to hold seed in uh, or hold soil into an embankment like that mm-hmm. and help you out some. So if you don't have access to some of that stuff, that might be another option. I don't know. What were you thinking, RK? Well, I mean, you know, what I think you could focus on in terms of if you're having some issues there with what do I do with fertilizer? It tends to wash off. I mm. mean, that's, that's you got to be looking at some liquid things and spraying some foliar products and trying to keep them on the grass that's there and figure out what you can do with that. No, that's a great point, too, about, you know, just movement of, of granular products for sure. So I think I know somebody who's got a whole line of soluble stuff that's pretty good. I don't know. I don't know who that is either. He's a dude. <laughs> don't know him. Hopefully I meet him someday. But in any regard, like that's that's something too, is just you're going to have to get more site-specific in those areas and more hands-on than your typical oh, hey, the front lawn that's nicely graded and this, that, and the other thing. This isn't that. This is a very special situation that's going to require more attention, more patience, and, RK, to your point, a better and more clear set of expectations on, hey, in year one, I might not have this entire thing looking awesome, and I shouldn't beat myself up over it or shouldn't you know, tear up the plan and go a completely different direction because it didn't work. It might be reasons, variables, things that are beyond my control that as I get other things figured out and established and prioritized, then I'm going to then move on to these other things that I can then take control over, like what you just said, you know, of, Mm -hmm. okay, now at the top of the hill, I'm going to spray these fertilizers in, right? Or now I'm going to go ahead and sod like the first two or so rows, uh, you know, or, or five or six feet of this embankment so that I can at least get something established there. Cause it's the toughest part and I can slow this water down. That's coming downhill from that point. Right. Mm-hmm. I can slow the velocity of it down. Just things like that. So don't feel like it's gotta be a home run. It's gotta get knocked out of the park on the first try. That's difficult to do in, and even in the pro world, I don't see it that often of, of you know, you get to the end of it and you're like, ah, oh, didn't have to change anything, didn't encounter any obstacles, right. didn't have any problems. Like, man, that was easy. Like, that just doesn't happen. So don't beat yourself up over it and, you know, stay the course. Well, and I think I've, I don't know if I've told the story on here before, but, uh, or not, maybe I have, but I mean, back when I had the bluegrass in my backyard and the first renovation that I ever did, rest in peace to the bluegrass, by the way, um, you know, it took probably two full seasons for me kind of not having, starting from bare dirt to putting down bluegrass, which I didn't do by myself even at the beginning because I was relying on a company to kind of help me and they didn't know what they were doing. So they seeded it in late May. And it was like, I, I told them, I was like, this doesn't seem like makes sense to me, but I'm going to go with what you guys think you know. And uh, so by the time we got to about August of that year, I'd say it's about 70% crabgrass coverage. And, you know, oh, it's like, 
things had to be adjusted and things had to be learned. And now I know what I know. And I mean, you just can't, you can't beat yourself up or over certain things like that, but I think it's all good experience. And in the end, it turned out perfectly fine. It just took a while to get there. And that's the other thing. Uh, last thing I'll say on this is that a lot of times when I talk to folks in the homeowner realm that are facing situations like this, their big concern is one or, one or both of either time or money, right? How long is this going to take and how much money am I going to need to spend? And I always try to caution folks of, you know, spend as little money as you can up front and put as much time in it on the front end. And I think you'll end up seeing better results. Now, it might take a little bit longer time-wise to get there, but you'll learn a lot more. Like what you were saying, you learn what's going to work, what's not going to work, and what some of the challenges are so that you spend that money more wisely as you go forward. And hopefully, you can devote less and less time to it as you go through for it too versus trying to ram your way through it. You know, oh, hey, I'm just going to spend whatever, 500 bucks and get this done. And then you don't put as much time in thinking that you're going to take the quick and easy, easy way out. You look back in six months, and you're like, well, sh- damn, I didn't get anything done. None mm-hmm. of this worked. And then you're out 500 bucks. You know, you still, you're, you're completely out of time, right? Because we're out of the growing season. Your old lady's ragging on you because you didn't get it done. And <laughs> it's just not a good situation. So um, there are brownie points for effort. I really do believe that. And on the money side, if you spend less and show progress, that's better to me than pushing all the chips in and not getting anything for it. Yeah. I think that's absolutely true because, you know, half the stuff that I don't ever show on YouTube is all the little things that I'm doing every day. And, and like, I'm thinking to myself, you know, if I did this, it would be, if I showed all this stuff, you know, some people would be like, Oh, you're doing too much work or you're doing this or that. But that and Connor is absolutely right. He tells me that all the time. Whenever somebody asks him a question of how do you get your yard like this, he's like, "You have to work at it. There is there are no shortcuts to just instantly having what I have or what he has in terms of you know a low cut yard and stuff like that. There there are no major shortcuts to that. It's it's a lot of time. It's a lot of effort into it." And that's totally fine for some people. And for others, it's like, well, once I understand that, I don't have that kind of time. Cool. That's fine. No big deal. But I think in the in the world of like YouTube, I just can't show everything that I do. But I think it kind of comes across sometimes like, oh, this is easy. Well, mm, not so much. <laughs> no, it, it, it's simple, but it's not easy. And, and I think that's the distinction there is it does take time. It does take an intense amount of patience. And that's that patience is only developed through doing, 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 and learning, learning, learning. Right? There is no shortcut for, um, I guess, trying to say that. Okay, well, if I do, I, you know, I see these guys and they're doing you know six, seven different things to their lawn to make it look like that. But I think I can do these three things and really make it, you know, make it pop. I agree with that. I agree with the 80-20 plan to a certain extent, but then you're going to hit a ceiling that you're going to get frustrated with at some point. And you're going to say, well, it's the products or it's, you know, this or it's that. And it ain't any of that. It's, 
your expectations relative to your knowledge, your experience, and the results that those three things are able to produce. Yep. And that's not, not to discount or, or disqualify anybody's results or anybody's um, passion for doing it. It's just a, a, a situation where <laughs> you're taming nature, right? You're daring nature to kick you in the teeth every day. And yeah, this, you know, this isn't to sound self-aggrandizing or anything like that. This is just a long time of doing it and getting kicked in the dick repeatedly and saying, all right, well, I guess I'll try again. You know, in in the discouragement becomes less and less and less and less and less Mm -hmm. to the point where like, you know, like you're, you you know, you, I want to say you're complaining about the weather, but you're, you're concerned. You're like, Oh, I'm at this I'm point, freaking complaining, no doubt about okay, it. Fine, fine. You're complaining, I, and, and that's the thing is like tw- you know, twenty two, twenty three, or four or five, whatever it is, twenty 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 five years on of doing this, and again, is I just don't complain about it anymore. It's okay. Look at the forecast. Hey, what's next? What do we got to do? What do we got to be prepared for? And fuck, it's hot. Or man, it's really cold out. But like. I can't control that. All I can do is lead into that with turf that is as well prepared to handle whatever is possible. Yep. So if you look at it that way, you become disappointed less and less and you appreciate it. You're grateful for being able to take care of this stuff. And it, it, Hey, even on bad days, it still looks pretty good. It still looks pretty good. Yep. Admit it. No, that that's true. It, it's, <laughs> it's just, we're on a different we're on a different standard level here. I mean, everybody that drives by is like, what the hell is going on with this guy? Like this, you know, I had a, I had a, somebody stop by not that long ago. They were down the road, like two houses digging in some electrical line or something. And they just dead stopped when they came by and they were like, I was, I happened to be mowing at that time. Of course, my orange, you know, real mower stands out like crazy anyway, but they're like, what are you doing over here? And this and that. And to me, you know, I look at it every day, and I'm like, ah, it's not in prime condition. They're like, this is like the greatest thing I've ever seen in a lawn. I don't, like, how would you ever do that, you know? <laughs> yeah. And, and that's, and, again, not to say, like, I know everything, because I don't by any means. It's just when you're on top of something every single day, inch by inch looking at it, and you're like, okay, this little spot isn't right, or that, you you've talked about that before, probably coming from your golf course days where you're like, there's so much space here to cover. I can't have everything be absolutely the way that I want it all of the time. It's just, there's, there's hundreds of acres to look at. So. Yeah. It's not giving up or being apathetic to it. It's realizing and understanding. And I'm sure anybody in any field of work can appreciate this, right? It's not just turf is, you have to prioritize and even in your personal life, you have to prioritize and say, Hey, this is where I'm going to put my time, energy, focus, money, whatever the case might be, because this is where it counts, right? On a golf course, it counts on green. So we're going to prioritize those first because that's what everybody judges us, judges us on, um, looks at the most comments on the most, whatever the case might be. So in, in a home one, I mean, geez, <laughs> You're right. There, you can have a hundred people probably pull up to your lawn and not find fault in it, like none. 
and and you would still go through there and you could probably find a hundred different things yep. that you're like, huh, that right there, this right here. And and this is me having gone through this with what I call non-turf people, right? You know, over the years of you point all these things out and they're like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, I can't even, I, what, where, what is that? What, where? It just doesn't exist to them, right? They can't see it. Yeah. And so, I don't know. I I don't get too hung up on that stuff anymore. But it is good, though, in the sense that you're trying to push yourself. And, and I would think that that's most of our listeners too. Is that you know you're you're listening here because yeah maybe you're you're starting out and you're trying to push ahead and you're trying to look for okay how do I get that edge? That's the thing that all of us are trying to do and at what level and to what degree and to what extent we're willing to go. It's always about, Hey, how can I get one or 2% better today, this season, this month, whatever the case is, how can I get that much better? Right. And is it a new product? Is it a new technique? Is it changing my mowing pattern? There's all these things that you could sit there and say, it's for this reason, that reason, whatever. And usually, I mean, I'm, I'm, kind of drawing a blank here as far as if I can ever say that there was one singular thing that I did that made all the difference in the world when it comes to turf. Cause the truth is that the, there's not, there's no silver, silver bullets and it's, it's hard to zero in and figure out what works. And that's, that's a whole different show of, you know, when you're spraying 19 different things on your lawn and saying, man, it looks, looks best yeah. it's ever looked. And it's yeah. like, wait, dude, how do you know what's working? What's not? Well, I just spray all this stuff. It's like, well, like, what if only one of those things actually does? You don't need to spray the eighteen other ones. Oh, I never thought of it that way. Well, it's a different way to think about it. So, again, that uh, whole different mindset. I, I'm going to be fascinated, interested to talk as we go through the summer this year, and and really dive deeper into uh, just again the basic agronomy piece of putting together a solid basic program that's going to get you 90 to 95% of the way there. And then it's up to you in your particular situation, climactically geography related grass type, whatever to get yourself that last five, 10% and maximize it. Mm -hmm. So I'm I'm really intrigued. I'm excited to talk about that this summer. Yeah. I mean, that's where I'm at. If I'm bitching about, stuff like texture and you know all these all these little <laughs> things it's like to most people my neighbor comes over and he's like oh your yard looks so good i'm like no it looks like shit and he's like <laughs> you know he's like well i don't really understand you know i don't really get that but that's the point that i'm at it's not growing grass anymore it's the finer details of of everything that's that's already there you know i'm past the point of Yes, I have everything looking sort of 90% to where I want it, but now we're going the extra mile. And that's the, that's the last thing I'll say to kind of wrap this up is that, you know, I learned a long time ago, even in those self-critical moments of, hey, it looks like shit, is to rather than say it looks like shit, is to educate somebody and say, hey, you know what? I want to take this opportunity and point out, hey, let me show you this real quick. This is Poa annua. This is a different grass, and it's a weed because of X, Y, Z. It's planted a place, and here's why we don't like it. 
here's the challenges it presents to us as turf managers refined turf and you know from a um safety aspect functionality slash playability aspect or a aesthetic aspect right agronomic whatever here are some of the challenges it presents right so it helps them not necessarily and, and trust me it's harder when you do it in a golf course or you do it in a sports field and you, and you show people what to look for to pick your ass apart yeah like you got to have a lot of confidence in what you're doing but you do it you go you steer right into it and you show them and say, hey, this is you know, this is what I'm dealing with. This is some of the stuff that I'm trying to control, get on top of, or improve, so that you all that are driving past Ryan Norris lawn or playing on my golf course or uh, using my sports field, that you understand that these are the lengths I'm going to to try and make it nice for you all. And that's tough. It's tough to like make light of the shit that's all fucked up instead of just saying, ah, oh, you know, it's just, it's, it's shitty and this and that, and I mm-hmm. can be better steer right into it and say, Hey, these are the problems I face. And here's what we try to do to combat it. I do that with consulting clients all the time. And I'm telling you what, they take so much away from that. And they're so impressed that like, man, this guy is like even showing us what's wrong with the field. He's not just sitting here blowing smoke and saying what's right. I'll tell you what's wrong too. You know, and, and even if it's stuff that we've been doing for years and years and years and trying to get on top of, uh there's a lot that 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 speaks to what people are are seeking rather than what they just like oh you know, it's shitty well okay they're going to tune you out right away so all right i'm rambling but in in any event i think that's an important point tell your neighbors and educate your neighbors and the electrical repair guy <laughs> on what's bad i've got two sides of me right now that are snowing dandelions onto all of my yard. So that, that part is not, not so much fun, but soon, soon I will be, you know, out in God's country as you'd call it. And, uh, <laughs> RD, you'll will, have all the problems. RD will be there doing some consulting work and I'm going to pay him the big bucks to come out. So I can't wait to come out to the North family turf farm and not just consult, just uh, you know, rub elbows with turf royalty and, and make this all happen. And I hope, I hope that um, Bob and his friend Mr. Keith Stone can pay us a visit when that time comes. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. Well, hey, it was it was good to catch up. It's been a long time, but you know what? We should. I know we always say this, but we should make it shorter. So. After this, we're going to sit down. We're going to set a firm date that both of our butts will be in the seats so we can get this out in another four weeks. Please, if you do have questions, if you have comments, whatever, uh, go ahead and, and send those on to us uh, by email. Ryan, what's the best email to send those questions to? You know, you can get uh, probably to ryannorlawncare at gmail.com and we'll we'll take some of those and... Uh make sure you mark it for the show or something and we'll go through some of those. I get a lot of emails anyway, so I try to take some of those. I can't get to absolutely everything. I wish that I could, but um, yeah, we grab those for the show and talk through some of them here and I'm looking forward to it. Every time we do this, we have a ton of fun. It's not that, you know, we're like, Oh, we're dreading doing the show or anything. We're not. It's just, (laughs) we're so damn busy that, we can't do this as much as we'd like, but we're going to have to. 
No, we're, we'll set a date, and I think, again, you know, send those questions in, put TurfCast on there so we know you're serious, you're a listener, everything like that. We want to engage with our listeners, and, you know, Ryan's got millions of people watching him every week, so, you know, it's hard for him to sort through some of those emails, but if you put TurfCast, we know that you're a diehard for sure, and we and we want to be a, a part of that for sure. So, uh, I, you know, I, uh, in another month here... I'm excited. I've got some good projects coming up, so I'll be anxious to update everybody on some of those. Uh, a couple of new football fields going in. Uh, uh, a cricket park that's in yeah. development. Yeah, We're just starting that. So that that'll be fun. That, What's the head of cut on that? Uh, they would like it to be Bermuda at a half an inch. Okay. They want it fast, very fast. So. Yeah, we'll, we'll we'll dive into that a little bit deeper on the next one because we'll have some more info on that. And then, again, the two fields that are going. So hope to get some good content, too, that I can share and we can have discussion about that. You can critique my uh, content production <laughs> capabilities like I, I critique your grass-growing capabilities. We're both experts in the fields that we're both not as good at, but <laughs> still learning and, like, really eager to, like, dive so deep into and get good at. It's amazing. It's a very complimentary relationship. Yeah, it works well. It does. Uh, yeah, it and does. I've got, you know, I'll be updating on that seeding project. We'll see what kind of uh, what kind of results we have on that, and also <laughs> we're going to be updating on if it ever decides to rain, and also talking about this property that I've got coming up. What's going to be going on there? There's a lot of different things that I have in mind, so it's going to be exciting stuff. Um, yeah, I'm looking forward to all of it coming back really I soon. I can't wait. I can't wait for it to rain six inches over the next four weeks <laughs> in Iowa and make you look like an asshole. <laughs> That's probably what will happen. <laughs> in, the ni- in the nicest possible way. I yeah. love you. But, yeah, they're going to be like, this is Ryan Norgay talking about dry. Like, it's it's fine. Look at that grass. It came in great. Yep. So just just own it and just say, look, look at everything I did. Look at all these, you know magical products i applied and this that and the other thing but there you go so absolutely hey it's been great again last last shout out bob thank you so much for your support really appreciate it can't wait to you know continue the relationship and grow it further and all of you if you can and if you're interested go ahead and throw those pictures up of you drinking a keystone uh, on the lawn and tag uh, at Ryan Noor and, and tag uh, at Field Source Ohio. We definitely want to see those too. So throw them up on the social medias. Absolutely. Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode. We'll be back again really soon and we promise we will because we had a good time again tonight. So thanks RD and we'll see you all next time. See you.